Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. World Soccer Talk Radio here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abarea. Thank you so much for making this show a part of your daily plans. It's a fresh week. Thanks for subscribing to us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher and iHeartRadio. Check out the website that started it all, worldsoccertalk.com, and get involved in that wild thing known as the Twitter sphere at World Soccer Talk to get a hold of all of us with all of your soccer-inclined Twitter gold at Sports Byline USA to get updates on the show. And if you want to send me all of that love mail, or the hate mail that you're far too good at sending at Nate WST. I want it all at Nate WST. So my footballing weekend went from London to Mexico City to the Bronx. Oh, it was so much fun. Didn't end too well, though. That final stop in the Bronx was, was not all that fortuitous. It started off in London watching Chelsea and Arsenal what are we calling Diego Costa at this point? A jerk, a bully, a wind-up merchant, a douchebag, a big piece of sandpaper? I'm going to go with a winner. That's all we're calling Diego Costa. He's a winner. He does whatever it takes. He's an absolute animal. He is a horrible, horrible human being. He's also a winner. Okay, so then, after I watched Chelsea defeat Arsenal 2-0, Arsenal ending that game with nine men, watched a few other Premier League encounters as well, and then the afternoon, oh, it was so great, went to one of my favorite childhood Mexican taquerias, had a couple of chavelas, oh, with the good shrimp on the top of the glass and everything, and watched Pumas take on Cruz Azul, we've had all these Mexican soccer analysts on this show, getting back in touch with Liga MX. Oh, it's so good. Pumas and Cruz Azul. I saw Chaco Jimenez score a goal. How is he still a thing? How is he still alive? Chaco Jimenez still doing it for La Máquina. And then I ended my Saturday football extravaganza by watching my beloved San Jose Earthquakes take on NYCFC in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium where NYCFC went up 3-0. Two goals from Ned Grabovoy. What was it, 2004? And then David Villa scores one. And then the Quakes... With Quincy Ameriqua and Chris Wondolowski come back and make it 3-2. They could not pull off the epic comeback. But what a second half in the Bronx between NYCFC and the San Jose Earthquakes. Tweet me at NAWST. Let me know what your footballing weekend was like. Where did you travel to in your own mind? We've got a special treat for you on the other side of the break. Ian Plenderleith 
the author of Rock and Roll Soccer, The Short Life and Fast Times of the NASL is with us. Stay tuned. We're back after this. World Soccer Talk. See the world's best matches live wherever you are with Fox Soccer to go. Watch select live matches on your smartphone, on your tablet, and on your computer. Get the app, get the games, and get your fix. Live soccer and more. Anytime, anywhere. Sign up to watch the Bundesliga and Champions League at SoccerOnDish.com. Your season-long fantasy football team may be going strong, but you don't have to wait until Week 16 to get paid. Put your fantasy skills to the test every week this season at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. Got an injured player? No problem. It's like a new season every week, so you're never stuck with the same players. And get this, DraftKings is crowning a new millionaire every week this season. You could turn your love of football into a life-changing payday just pick your players pile up the points and pick up your cash that's it you've never experienced football like this before this isn't fantasy as usual this is DraftKings. welcome to the big time hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code attack to play for free for a shot at one million dollars in this week's millionaire maker event enter attack for free entry now only at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. that's DraftKings.com. If you're a soccer fan and you want to cut the cord and watch more of the beautiful game, NGSN may be the online streaming service you're looking for, freesoccertrial.com. With NGSN, you get live, legal, and on-demand access to matches from the Eredivisie, J-League from Japan, K-League from Korea, Argentina's Primera Division, Portugal, Ecuador, Russian Premier League, as well as leagues from Bolivia, Venezuela, and more. The games are in HD, and commentaries are available in your choice of English or Spanish. And this is a completely new and legal way to watch soccer games in the U.S. Try it, and I think you'll be impressed. All you have to do is go to freesoccertrial.com and sign up today for your free 30-day trial to NGSN. Again, that's freesoccertrial.com. Freesoccertrial.com. Com. Cheers. Tonight on NBC, The Voice returns with the blind auditions. All right, I just want to say that watching Blake and Adam battle over artists is easily one of the most entertaining things on television. I know, that's your favorite thing. Then it's the premiere of Blind Spot. Wait, you got to hear what the critics are saying. Okay. Blind Spot is the smartest new show on television mm. and is poised to become the next blacklist. Ooh. Translation sit down and I'll watch this show. It looks amazing. Blind Spot premieres after the blind auditions on an all new voice tonight on NBC. I mean, come on, where else would it be? Nate Abarea back here with you on World Soccer Talk Radio. It is a pleasure to welcome in the author of Rock and Roll Soccer, the short life and fast times of the North American Soccer League, Mr. Ian Plenderleaf. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on the show, Nate. Absolutely. So uh, talking to us from Frankfurt, Germany, correct? Yes, that's right. Well, how about that? So any... Uh, uh, a man who wrote a book about the North American Soccer League. You've spent a lot of time in England, and now we're talking to you in Deutschland, truly an international writer in, uh, in all the best of ways. But let's talk all about the North American Soccer League. Let's talk about rock and roll soccer. I got the copy of this book, and I 
to say that I loved it would be an understatement. It was one of those books where it truly felt like I was placed in the 1970s with the firsthand stories within this book. I felt like I was there. I felt like I was in the limousine, in the limousine drinking tequila with Pele and that story that Rodney Marsh tells in the first couple of pages. I felt like I was, I was there in the stadiums. Talk about that a little bit in terms of your overall goals with, with creating this book. Was that something that was, was on your mind really placing people in the time and places of the, uh, the rock and roll soccer era? Well, I think when I first started writing the book, I was really keen to to upplay the rock and roll aspect of it because the North American Soccer League had a huge reputation as the as the party league, the league where the glamorous players came, not really necessarily to play soccer, but to to drink a lot and party a lot and and, and generally end their careers on, on a on a high note in more ways than one. But the more that I looked into the uh, game at that time, and the more that I researched it, I realized that that was almost a complete fallacy. There was, certainly was a lot of that going on, and, and, and a lot of and no, none of the players would, would deny that, the, that that was one aspect of the league in the 70s. But in fact, I realized, uh, after talking to a lot of the players at the time, that they were there to play uh, soccer very seriously, and that they, in fact, laid down the foundations of the modern game in the U.S., uh, by by actually trying to, and this became a big cliche under David Beckham talking about growing the game, but he was preceded three decades earlier by a lot of players from around the world who actually did genuinely come to the U.S. with the goal of, of making soccer big, and, and to some extent they succeeded. Well, going back to, again, that forward uh, from Rodney Marsh, uh, a great friend of the show, someone we've, uh, we've had on uh, World Soccer Talk Radio before, where he really makes a big point of that where he talks about that hey you know I remember the rivalries that we had as players that it was actually it was rivalries between players that really built up the team rivalries talk a little bit about that and and in the in this entire book I know there, there's so much more uh, about that but but the rivalries that developed and how seriously these dudes actually took the games and whether or not they were, were partying a bunch or, or or whatever, you know, in, in that regard, how serious they actually took this stuff. Yeah, well, they were professionals. And, and if you've ever played uh, soccer with anyone who's been remotely good, you'll know how, how seriously people take it, even down to the amateur level, no matter how much philosophically you try to distance yourself from it, just being a sport or a game, once you're actually involved in the game, then you really take it seriously. So when you're talking about the level of players like Marsh and Pelé, then naturally, uh, no matter what their incentives for originally going to the States were, once they got out onto the pitch, they wanted uh, they wanted to win. And uh, Rodney Marsh and Pelé were a very good example. They, they, they kind of respected each other off the field, but they really went at each other uh, in, in what turned out to be a really good rivalry between the, the Tampa Bay Rowdies and the New York Cosmos, which definitely evolved primarily around those two players because they were such personalities and because they were to some extent there to showboat their talents a little bit but they 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 had some great games i mean the the, the rowdies beat the cosmos 5-1 in a very famous game in 1976 when uh, there was a crowd of 40,000 and a national tv audience and that and that uh, of course riled the cosmos no end because they didn't like losing at all and so that turned into into a, a seesaw rivalry that lasted for several years and and, and made for uh, great uh, soccer to watch, not just, I mean, if you disregard the whole razzmatazz of the NASL, 
you were still left with what was a very uh, recognizable form of soccer and, and a very entertaining one as well. Ian, I want to read uh, this great quote uh, here from uh, Phil Woosnam, the uh, North American Soccer League commissioner from 1977. This sport will take off. There is absolutely no way that it will not bypass everything else. This country will be the center of world soccer. In the 80s, there will be a mania for the game here. There will be three to five million kids playing it. The North American Soccer League will be the world's number one soccer league, and it will be the biggest sports league in the USA. And I love the, the first thing that you say is no one ever accused uh, this man of, of lacking optimism. Well, when you look back on that quote, I mean, what, what goes through your mind? And, and if you can kind of tie it back to the modern day here in 2015. Well, he was, he was a, a visionary, no doubt about that. And as you say, a huge optimist. And I'm sure even here he realized that, that uh, you know, maybe he was being over the top, but he was uh, a Welshman in America trying to sell the game. And I think that he understood very early on that that was the most important thing in America was to sell this game. That He was starting from scratch. And I think he put the fear up the major league uh, sports in America. And he also made the, the European game uh, quite scared as well. The people uh, in, in Europe tend to be very patronizing and, and dismissive of soccer in America. Still to this day, unfortunately, there's a lot of that around. But at the time, uh, a lot of British clubs especially took note of the way that the Americans were marketing the game and making it, uh, bringing it to a whole new audience, bringing it to children, bringing it to women, and trying to make it uh, a less grim sport than it was in Britain in the 1970s when bad tactics and hooliganism were kind of uh, the order of the day. So, um, yeah, it, it's easy, of course, to laugh at, at uh, Phil Woosman's quote now, and, and I didn't really put that in the book as a way... Uh, something to, to laugh at in retrospect. I really wanted that uh, to, uh, quote to show this is what actually the, the commissioner of this league believed was possible. And, and really at the time it, it, it was possible and, and maybe in the long run uh, it could still uh, to some extent come true. Now, uh, Ian, in the next segment, I want to talk with you about how the old North American Soccer League relates to modern-day Major League Soccer and, and what a lot of people look at is the, the MLS mindset of wanting to completely distance itself from the original North American Soccer League. So we'll talk all about that uh, here in a few minutes. But before we head to break here, I want to ask you, because you touched on something there, and again, going back, you know, you're, you're originally from England, you lived in the States for a long time, now you're, now you're in Germany, and so you, you know various uh, footballing cultures, mm -hmm. whether it's in England or, or Germany, because you think about Franz Beckenbauer, you think about Bobby Moore, Rodney Marsh, Pele, these players that were a part of this league, what type of legacy does the original NASL and, and their teams have in, in modern-day Europe among, say, average soccer fans? Well, I don't think it's one that any uh, soccer fans would admit, but I think the, <laughs> if you look at uh, what soccer was in the 70s in the US, it was all-seater stadiums with perfect sight lines. It was the game's major world stars all playing together in one league, and that was something absolutely unprecedented. There were foreign players certainly playing in some leagues, 
but there was nothing on this scale of uh, deliberately attracting the big stars. Now, what the Champions League and uh, the Premier League and La Liga have all been aimed at in the last 20 years is to create a league uh, in many ways almost identical to the North American Soccer League, which uh, I, I think in, in many ways, unwittingly perhaps, was two or, two or three decades ahead of its time. That's, that's for me, is, is the legacy of the NASL. Ian Plenderleith, the author of Rock and Roll Soccer, the short life and fast times of the North American Soccer League, is with us right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. And as promised, when we get back, we're going to talk about the Major League Soccer mindset. Do you think out there, you as the listener, do you feel that MLS wants to completely distance itself from the original North American Soccer League? I certainly do. But what we're going to talk about with Ian is if... That mindset may change over the next few years with the popularity of this book, with the popularity of the once-in-a-lifetime documentary about the New York Cosmos. Will, it, will the time come where people will actually focus on the positives of the North American Soccer League? Because as this book states many a times, there were way too many positives to ignore and label it all as bad. Ian Plenderleith with us right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. We're back after this. best matches live wherever you are with Fox Soccer to go watch select live matches on your smartphone on your tablet and on your computer get the app get the games and get your fix live soccer and more anytime anywhere sign up to watch the Bundesliga and Champions League at soccerondish.com Your season-long fantasy football team may be going strong, but you don't have to wait until Week 16 to get paid. Put your fantasy skills to the test every week this season at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. Got an injured player? No problem. It's like a new season every week, so you're never stuck with the same players. And get this, DraftKings is crowning a new millionaire every week this season. You could turn your love of football into a life-changing payday just pick your players pile up the points and pick up your cash that's it you've never experienced football like this before this isn't fantasy as usual this is DraftKings. welcome to the big time hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code attack to play for free for a shot at one million dollars in this week's millionaire maker event enter attack for free entry now only at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. that's DraftKings.com. If you're a soccer fan and you want to cut the cord and watch more of the beautiful game, NGSN may be the online streaming service you're looking for, freesoccertrial.com. With NGSN, you get live, legal, and on-demand access to matches from the Eredivisie, J-League from Japan, K-League from Korea, Argentina's Primera Division, Portugal, Ecuador, Russian Premier League, as well as leagues from Bolivia, Venezuela, and more. The games are in HD, and commentaries are available in your choice of English or Spanish. And this is a completely new and legal way to watch soccer games in the U.S. Try it, and I think you'll be impressed. All you have to do is go to freesoccertrial.com and sign up today for your free 30-day trial to NGSN. Again, that's freesoccertrial.com. 
Soccertrial.com. FreeSoccerTrial.com. Cheers. Tonight on NBC, The Voice returns with the blind auditions. All right, I just want to say that watching Blake and Adam battle over artists is easily one of the most entertaining things on television. I know, that's your favorite thing. Then it's the premiere of Blind Spot. Wait, you got to hear what the critics are saying. Okay. Blind Spot is the smartest new show on television mm. and is poised to become the next blacklist. Ooh. Translation sit down and watch this show. It looks amazing. Blind Spot premieres after the blind auditions on an all new voice tonight on NBC. I mean, come on, where else would it be? World Soccer Talk Radio back here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Ian Plenderleith is with us in this edition of the show talking all about his new book, Rock and Roll Soccer, The Short Life and Fast Times of the North American Soccer League. Check this book out. I absolutely love it. Now, Major League Soccer, in my opinion at least, continues to, in in various ways, distance itself from the original North American Soccer League because, and again, this is just my opinion, it seems as if they don't want to be associated with what ultimately became a failed league, a quote-unquote failed league. Now, again, in this book, there's so many references to, hey, yeah, this thing ultimately was, you, you could label as a failure, but my God, there were so many positives within this thing that we need to not ignore all those positives. In your opinion, Ian, are, are there lessons that Major League Soccer could take as, as positives from the original NASL that, that could help the league prosper here in the modern-day United States? Um, I'm, I'm not sure if, that, if that's necessarily the, 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 the question that needs to be asked here. I think it's more um, to do with how the MLS perceived itself at the time that it was formed. And I think it was quite understandable in a way that it distanced itself from the NASL, which was still relatively recent at that time. It was still fresh in people's memories. It refused to to take on any of the teams from, from the NASL. It refused to take on any of the staff who'd been involved with the NASL. Uh, when it, that might have been a benefit. The wisdom of somebody like Clive Toy might well have uh, been a help to MLS at the start. I, I don't think that uh, I, I, I maybe think you're being a little harsh on MLS now and its in its attitude to the NASL. I think now it just tends to ignore it rather than to to uh, to dismiss it. But certainly, when it brought in the, the teams uh, in Canada and the teams in the Pacific Northwest, who were all uh, the, the Sounders, <coughs> the Timbers, and uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps, all being successful NASL teams, and these teams still had a fan base and a culture and a, and a rivalry from that time, which was brought ready-made into MLS, and in a way, really uh, helped to to improve and support the league at a time when when it was maybe in, in need of a, of a big boost. Um, the other thing I look at in the book is, well, should the should MLS have taken on uh, the New York Cosmos at any time? And again, uh, this was understandable that it didn't want to have a team in who who I guess would have wrecked the whole ethos of MLS, which was to try and create a, a league on an equal footing and not have a, a team one team that dominated completely as, as the Cosmos did did uh, in many respects the NASL. So. Um, yeah, to get back to your question, which was, uh, what is it, what is the uh, legacy of the, of the NASL for MLS? I, I, I think that for, for the, uh, modern game in, in America, they, they've, they've 
they're taking some aspects of the NASL now. For example, the signing of big name players. Uh, we've seen, you know, Lampard, Gerrard, uh, and obviously Thierry Henry and David Beckham in the past coming into MLS. And I'm skeptical about whether that's a good move or not. It certainly makes for good headlines. It makes for lots of publicity. I'm sure it helps them sell uh, TV rights around the world as well. Um, whether that's good for the long-term development of U.S. soccer and U.S. soccer players, I, I, I think we'll have to wait and see. Now, uh, with, with the popularity, we talked about this in, in the last segment, the, the once-in-a-lifetime documentary that came out about the New York Cosmos and, and this new book. Uh, it, I, I see something shifting here in terms of the way people are, are going to look back on and remember the North American Soccer League rather than, you know, pigeonholing it as a, as, as a failure. I mean, do you, do you see that maybe, maybe trending in, in that direction now that we're, we're far enough removed from this where we can actually really look back at the NASL and focus on, on all of the, the just amazing positives that you focus on in the book? I, I, I really hope so, Nate, because I think it, it deserves a much better place in history than it's been, it's been given so far. Um, everybody, uh, it's been a sort of a laughing stock of a league in in several ways because people, as you say, it's a failure. Americans don't really have much truck with failures. Uh, It was a failure, especially from a business point of view. Um, But I think that um, American uh, soccer lacks a, it doesn't lack a history, but it lacks a a history that people um, have been able to look on with some pride. It's been a very fragmented history. It's been a history of uh, failed leagues, broken leagues, uh, personalities falling out with each other, different interests and different organizations clashing. And I think if you look at the, the NASL, it was the first coast-to-coast national league. And for a while, it was really something special. And it was really uh, a threat to uh, established major league sports in the U.S. and, and to the world game as well. It, uh, in one of the chapters, I detail all the disputes that the NASL had with FIFA and that definitely was something in many ways that the NASL can be proud of. They they wanted to innovate in terms of points. They wanted more goals. They wanted more substitutes. They had names and numbers on shirts. They wanted to change the offside law with a different uh, line of uh, for the offside trap because they could see that that was a very negative uh, influence on the game. So these are all things that in the long term... Uh, certainly prompted a rethink in the world game and in some respects uh, prompted actual changes that came to pass uh, sometimes several years later. Even if you look at things like um, back passing to the goalkeeper, that was something that the NS- NASL brought up and said, well, this is a, it's a, it's a waste of time. Like, <laughs> the guy passes the ball back to the keeper, holds it in his hands, he bounces it for 10 seconds. It was a, and you look at it now, like, how did it take so long to change? You look at the substitute rules. The NASL wanted three substitutes and they got that for a while because they said why not what's it to stop us having free substitutes what if free players get injured a lot of the things they looked at uh, uh, made sense uh, just from a purely playing point of view even if the uh, the business model was somewhat shaky but what you just talked about right there is a microcosm of of so much within this book because again you could Focus on uh, some of the things that uh, a few people around NASL tried to accomplish, like you talk about the book, the uh, the designated number nine uh, player who would have the ability to punch uh, the soccer ball at any time. You could you could focus on that, or you could focus on hey, they were actually gr- many of these these heads are groundbreaking when it came to. 
three substitutes when it came to eliminating the ridiculous passing back to, to the goalkeeper and how old Italian teams used to win European competitions all the time. I mean, uh, uh, all these different things that actually were incredibly groundbreaking for world soccer. And they came from the North American Soccer League. And, and in, in interviews with people for this book, uh, what, what were some of the other most revealing and, and enlightening details uh, that you discovered, especially in relation to, to outside-the-box thinking with soccer? Yeah, well, a lot of people love the uh, – a lot of the players love the 35-yard shootouts to settle game. <laughs> they said as a way of settling game, it's much more exciting for the crowd than penalty kicks, and it's a much fairer challenge. You maybe have a 40 to 50% chance of scoring – Whereas in a penalty kick, uh, the, the odds are probably nearer to eighty to ninety percent. So uh, there was a lot of there was quite a bit of love, mixed love, I'd say, for the off thirty-five yard offside line. Uh, if you watch some of the games now, it, it definitely looks like the play is stretched out, and I think that was something that was needed at the time in the nineteen seventies. Uh, offside is definitely not so much an issue nowadays. I think teams have tactically adapted to that, and we don't see the the dreaded offside trap that we used to see so much in the seventies and eighties, and games ruined by lines of defenders choreographed moving up with their arms in the air. Uh, but I, again, I think the very fact that the, the, the NASL took a different approach to offside, made people think, well, maybe maybe there is some, something that needs to be done about this and another way of looking at it. Though it, That was more like a natural evolution, I think, in the end, that, that eliminated offside as a blight on our game. Um, but, yes, there were just so many things like that. I mean, you talk to goalkeepers. The goalkeepers, of course, most of the goalkeepers loved the shootouts because they had a much better chance of, uh, of glory because they had a much better chance of stopping the ball. But even some of the players said you'd get a bad game, a nil-nil game, uh, 1-1 game, and then all of a sudden the crowd would come to life when the shootouts started. Now, again, these were for league games, so our natural snobby Europeanism would say, well, a draw is a draw. But on the other hand... These were teams trying to get people into stadiums, trying to make it interesting, trying to sell them a new game and a new sport. So why not? Why have your uh, uh, spectators leave the stadium not knowing who won or lost? I mean, where, where is the fun in that? And I think fun is actually another operative, a very key word for the NASL because football, uh, soccer in, in, in Britain in the 1970s, I can tell it was not a lot of fun. It was... It was certainly cheap to get into, but there was the overwhelming threat of uh, violence, uh, a lot of ground. The stadiums were in terrible condition. The fields were in terrible condition. And uh, the game was very complacent. It seemed to think that it could rely on its, its 100 years of tradition and history to, to bring it through. Um, but uh, at the time, it was, it was really necessary for a rethink. And I really think that the NASL gave the game a huge kick in the ass. That, 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 uh, even if it, the league did not survive itself, it gave a lot of uh, clubs abroad, who, who, a lot of who came to play against the Cosmos, who came to tour the US during the NASL era, gave them a lot of food for thought about how they were approaching the game back home and getting people into stadiums. You know, Ian, that was one of my favorite aspects of of this book is that we talk all about the legacy of the NASL and how it relates to modern-day Major League Soccer, how it relates to modern-day soccer in America. Let's take a step back, and obviously you did this in this book extensively. Take a step back 
and look at the legacy of the North American Soccer League on a world level because it's there. And I love the way you talk about giving the game a kick in the ass and these these stubborn mindsets that were changed very much by these sights and sounds of rock and roll soccer. And when these people came over from abroad and saw what was going on here and they went, okay, maybe there are a few things that we can take back home, a few little inspirations that we can take back home from this crazy North American soccer league, and we shouldn't just label it all as one thing. I love it. Ian Plenderleith with us right here on World Soccer Talk Radio, talking more about rock and roll soccer on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. For over 75 years, Geico's been about consistency, as in we've consistently helped people save money on their car insurance. And to prove it, we'll air one of our first radio commercials from over 75 years ago. At Geico, we're all about consistency, as in we consistently help people save money on their car insurance. To prove it, you can call Geico. Call us today. Call us tomorrow. Call us 75 years from now. That was way more consistent than I expected. Geico, saving people money for over 75 years. The following was recorded at a Burger King drive-thru at breakfast. Morning, welcome to Burger King. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich? Sure can. Right now they're two for four dollars, but could you say that word again? Croissant sandwich? Oh, where I'm from we say croissant-rich. Wow. Where are you from? From behind this counter? Piled high with thick-cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted cheese. Get two sandwich breakfast sandwiches for just $4, only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price and participation vary. Hi, Rick Tittle here. You may know me as the sports talk host that can talk about all sports. Football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, boxing, Olympics, rollerball. But this time I'm here to talk about pain. If you have pain in your knee or your back like I do, then you should know about the Health Alert Hotline. If Medicare is your primary insurance, then you could qualify for a back or knee brace at little or no charge. I have an old injury from my football playing days, and anything that can help take that pain away and make it more manageable, that has my attention. I love the free delivery, and they take care of the paperwork for you. So if you have Medicare and need help for back, ankle, knee, or shoulder pain, please call the Health Alert Hotline at 800-428-1570. That's 800 428 one five seven zero agents are standing by twenty four seven. So go ahead and call now. Eight hundred four two eight fifteen seventy. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like they did for these Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can have your website built for free and up and running in as little as seven days. Plus, promote your site on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call now to get your website built for free. If after 30 days you're happy with your new website, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for just one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call 855-254-SITE, 855-254-SITE, 855-254-7483, or go to web.com slash radio. There is no upfront charge for building the website after which the ongoing fee applies. Rights to the website are relinquished upon cancellation unless otherwise purchased. Oh, 
my goodness. We are back. We're live. All right. World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports by Life Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Avarea, joined by Ian Flenderleaf, the author of Rock and Roll Soccer, the Short Life and Fast Times of the North American Soccer League. If only you could hear the conversations during the breaks. Oh, they are they are sometimes quite good. Hey, let's talk about now, Ian, the in-stadium atmospheres. We, we've, we've touched on this a little bit already, but I, I want to elaborate on this and, and really paint the picture of the grounds and whether it's the, the Meadowlands for a, a big, you know, ginormous New York Cosmos crowd or a, a crowd in Minnesota or the old Tampa Bay Rowdies or, or in, in Los Angeles or the Pacific Northwest. Take your pick. I mean, maybe even we'll, we'll talk about a few of these, but talk about the, the attendance numbers and, and really what the atmospheres were like in these grounds in, in the old North American Soccer League during the rock and roll soccer era. Well, when, when they were good, they were good. Of course, there, there were, of course, the, 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 the teams we maybe want to touch on very briefly who were playing in massive uh, NFL stadiums and only attracting two or 3,000 people um, in uh, New England, for example. And in, and in Denver, there was a franchise in the 70s that actually moved to Minnesota because they were rattling around in, in, a, in a huge stadium. Um, but on the positive side, of course, what really kicked off in the 70s was the tradition of tailgating. Uh, and, and I think this particularly kicked off at, in, at, at the Rowdies, at the Minnesota Kicks, and at the Meadowlands. Uh, and and it, it seemed to me uh, it did come from a little bit from, N- from the NFL, but because soccer was a, a summer sport, especially somewhere like Minnesota, which had to get through a cold winter, it suddenly became the place to be for young people to hang out outside before the game. It became uh, as much as an occasion. As a sort of, it was a sort of like... Uh, pre-rave party uh, involving, you know, uh, a certain amount of recreational drugs, a lot of drinking. I think uh, a lot of people talked about Minnesota about the fact young people were making out in, in the parking lot before the game and during the game and after the game. <laughs> so uh, it was it was definitely uh, there was a period there where it was a really carnivalesque uh, atmosphere, and, th- and that's not even talking about before you get in the stadium when the, when you started with the marketing and the gimmickry and some of the things that the the clubs seem to be on an endless quest to come up with new ways to get the crowd going before the game and at halftime. And, you know, there were, there were different ways of bringing teams into stadiums on the back of a fire engine or on the back of a, uh, an elephant. I think it was one team, brought, uh, they all rode in on Harley Davidson motorcycles. And and the crowds the crowds loved that kind of that kind of stuff. And I, th- I think that uh, a lot of the players they talked to were like, well, you know, we went along with it. We knew we had to do it. And uh, there was a certain bemused resignation to the fact that, that when they came to America, that was that was part of the way they had to sell it. But because when they're looking back on it, they, they 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 love it as well as you do when you look back nostalgically on on anything like that. Uh, so. Uh, as I mentioned before, you know the, the, the action on the field, some, whether it was the penalty shootouts or whether it was uh, uh, George uh, Chinaglia scoring three goals, the, the crowds could get really animated and excited. And a lot of a lot of the um, players talked about the different kind of atmosphere they experienced in a U.S. stadium compared with the hostile stadiums in Europe. Now, both uh, uh, have their own kinds of atmosphere, and I think in in, in Europe, what a, a lot of the players wanted to escape from was this kind of this whole thing is like a matter of life and death like the threats from the crowd and the, and the, the violence between fans 
Whereas in the U.S. they came and it was it was more of a it was more of a day out. Certainly, it was for, from a European point of view, it was more tame and maybe even timid. But for a lot of players, it was great. I could bring my family to the game now, and I didn't have to worry about their safety. And nobody got on your back because not not everybody really understood what was going on the field anyway. So if you made a mistake, you didn't suddenly have thirty thousand people yelling down at you that you, <laughs> you deserved to be taken off the pitch and, and off the field and and, and uh, flogged and hung for it. So uh, yeah, the, 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 the atmosphere was something that, that that a lot of players brought up because it was it was a really refreshing change for them to be able to play in front of crowds that were were actually enjoying the spectacle before them. And what were some of the numbers like, Ian, as far as places like Minnesota? We, we've heard stories on the show about the, the Cosmos playing in front of over, over 70,000 people. But apart from the Cosmos, what were, what were some of the numbers like in places like Minnesota and Tampa Bay? Minnesota, uh, they ramped up their crowds really, really quickly. Within weeks of starting, they were starting to uh, – they, they started off well. They, they, they had a huge marketing coup in their first game in that they – they underestimated the number of people who were coming, and so they ended up opening the gates and letting people in for free. And they they won their first few games, I think, and then all of a sudden the Cosmos came to town, and they were playing in, in the Met Stadium in Bloomington, and next thing they knew, they had 46,000 fans there for the Cosmos. And they didn't get that every week, but for the playoff games uh, at the end of the season, a lot. I think for games against Tulsa, which also uh, developed into a huge rivalry, they would start to get healthy crowds of 30,000 or more and often in 40,000 as well. The Rowdies, too, had some uh, very good, good attendances. And uh, I think, uh, in, and then up in the Pacific Northwest, again, especially when when the teams were playing against each other, you would get uh, thirty regular crowds of thirty to forty thousand, and, and those games as well. So it, it, obviously, you took the average att- attendances. There were the failing or flailing franchises, which brought in much uh, uh, smaller crowds, and which brought the average attendance down. But in certain markets, there was there, were, there was a huge interest and, and a real fervor for these teams, which made them something something very special, and which a lot of fans uh, still still remember today. I, uh, I, I remember when I went to interview Alan Merrick, who's still living up in Minnesota, like a lot of former Minnesota kicked players, and he was getting still getting fan mail, you know, thirty forty years later, people sending him <laughs> Minnesota shirts to be signed, and I, I was very. Very uh, taken by that, and, and quite amazed that that, that that kind of legacy is still living on in places like that. And these players, they came over. A lot of them came over from Europe, uh, came from South America, and they went out there. They they sold this game the hard way by going into high schools and doing clinics day after day. They really, really put a lot of work into it outside of their own careers. And a lot of them ended up staying on and, and doing their own. Uh, a lot of them played indoor league, but a lot of them also set up coaching schools, which are which are still going today. I talked to Tony Glavin, who played for the uh, Philadelphia Fury, Philadelphia Fury for three years, and he uh, is still running a, a coaching school in in St. Louis. And there's so many players who ended up staying on because they loved it. They loved the U.S. and they loved its its the freedom it offered them compared with the uh, United Kingdom. And uh, again, this is another another legacy of, of uh, the NASL. It, it it really formed in places like Dallas and uh, Atlanta, uh, and in in California, in New Jersey. These are all areas that grew massive youth soccer cultures on the on the back of the hard work that the NASL players put in back at that time. 
Ian, uh, during during the last break, you were sharing with me some of the uh, more colorful uh, interviews that you uh, got to have, got to uh, conduct uh, in in the creation of this book. Uh, would you care to share a few of those uh, uh, with the with the listeners right now? Some of the uh, more entertaining uh, and and revealing interviews uh, that that you had uh, for this book. Sure, well, I, uh, there's one uh, former Cosmos player, Bob Yarushki, who gave me a very entertaining interview. And the story which I recount in full in the book of, of how he came to sign for the New York Cosmos, uh, I still love to read, reread that and I just laugh again and again every time I read it because it, it, it's, he, he starts out completely pissed off that uh, he's been sold to the Cosmos without his consent, without even knowing anything about it. And then he describes uh, how <laughs> he'd previously been on a salary of $5,600 a year and he gets flown to New York and uh, and how he is feted and treated there as a star. Just the way he, this story unfolds is, is, is very, very funny indeed. And, and the way he told it in person was even funnier. Uh, it kind of embarrasses me to listen to the tape because all you can hear is the sound of me laughing in the background. <laughs> and uh, another, another interview I hugely enjoyed was with the uh, revered, uh, soccer journalist Paul Gardner, my compatriot who who lives in uh, New York. I went to to New York to interview Paul, and we we talked for hours and hours. And he's one of these guys who never he never says anything that's less than uh, super interesting. He just has views on everything, and they're usually very entertaining views as well as being very well thought out views. He's sometimes very trenchant on certain matters. He seems to have a thing against uh, goalkeepers for some reason, <laughs> and uh, he seems to uh, he has he has one or two uh, you know issues with certain aspects of the game that we all have certain certain um, particular points that we we feel very strongly about but uh, Paul was a huge pleasure to interview and, and he comes across in the book as a little bit of an anti-voice a counter voice to my own <laughs> sometimes almost schoolboyish enthusiasm for the NESL and uh, I, I would make a point in an interview and he would tell me in, in no uncertain language uh, what, he, what he thought of my take on that <laughs> which again is very entertaining to listen when you play it back on, on, on the tape recorder but uh, yeah Paul, Paul, Paul was great value and, and, and uh, but you know as I said to you, the, the book is, is, was made by the by the people who who talked to me. Really, the, the number of players and coaches, uh, journalists, administrators like Clive Toy, who were prepared to give me their time, and 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 they really molded the book, and and it took shape. The more I talked to more people, the more the, the book took shape and, and, and got away from this original idea I had of you know, sex and glamour and cheerleaders and turned it into a, a, a proper analysis of a very important uh, time in U.S. soccer history. Well, while still incorporating sex and cheerleaders and, and all of all of that good stuff. Absolutely. Hey, we got three and a half minutes left here with you, Ian. And we talked about this actually uh, between ourselves during the last break. And so I, I want to share this with the listeners and, and get your thoughts on on this. We had JP Delacamera on the show uh, a couple months ago. We also had uh, about a week after JP, uh, Seamus Mallon. Uh, was on the show, and those those men both have uh, great connections with the old North American Soccer League, and both JP and Sheamus said in 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 different ways. It wasn't the exact same quote, but basically said the same thing that if there were lucrative television deals in the 1970s, like we have in today's age, that the NASL 
could have gone on and continued to prosper, that the lucrative TV deals were the biggest thing. And you referenced Phil Woosnam, uh, the old commissioner's attitude towards these TV deals. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, that that could have been something that would have not only saved the NASL, but kept it going for, for years? Well, well, the, the, uh, Seamus and JP are absolutely right on that. I completely agree with them. If you imagine now a league uh, that had uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Wayne Rooney, um, you know, Thomas Müller, uh, Schweinsteiger, and you name top of the ten, top ten world stars, all playing in one league. Imagine uh, how much you would sell the TV rights for. Uh, to that league that would be phenomenal it would be we would all be probably watching it for better or worse every every weekend uh so again this is this is another uh reason why the nasl was a league a little bit too before its time because in the 1970s of course there was no such thing as satellite tv you couldn't broadcast the nasl live around the world and they couldn't even get a, a good network deal across the u.s and now the, the, everybody says if the the, the Cable TV had come in just a few years uh, earlier than the NASL would have survived. It would have been able to negotiate local deals in much the same way MLS did in its early years. And they would have been able to sell good packages to their local TV markets rather than trying to get people in Miami interested in a game that was happening in San Jose. So uh, certainly, uh, yes, if, if the time had been right for that kind of TV deal, that would have been naturally been a huge help to, uh, to the NASL. And that would have brought in the money uh, that, that it needed, uh, that its franchises needed to survive. As it was, they kind of followed the Cosmos model of trying to bring in expensive stars from abroad. And everybody went on a kind of chase in one go to, uh, to outspend each other. And it was, it was just absolutely untenable. They were selling cheap tickets to get people in, um, but they were overspending on, on players at the same time. And, and uh, that's, that, there were just too many teams uh, brought into the into the league in, in one in one go in the late seventies that would just overstretch too quickly and, and that was what it caused its downfall. So Ian, uh, Amazon dot com and and good and bad bookshops all, all across the states. Uh, anywhere else that folks can go uh, to to get this fantastic book? Uh, well, if you go to your, I presume it's on BarnesandNoble.com as well. If you if you go to your local bookshop and order it, it's published by St Martin's Press, which is. Uh, a huge publishing house, and, and that is one reason I would like to exhort people to buy it because it's very rare for a, a big U.S. publisher to publish a soccer book. So they're taking something of a risk, which I really appreciate. And if it works out well, then maybe other publishers would be prepared to to publish soccer books in the future. Well, I certainly hope so. This one is fantastic. Rock and roll soccer, the short life and fast times of the North American Soccer League. Ian Plenderleith, you're welcome back on the show anytime, mate. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, best of luck spreading this book to the world. Thank you very much for having me. Again, that was Ian Plenderleith. We're back after this. Take the express train home. World Soccer Talk Radio Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Are you an inventor who would like to try to have an invention or idea patented and submitted to companies? But you don't know what to do next. Call for free information from InventHelp. InventHelp, a leading inventor service company, has been helping inventors since 1984 and has sales offices located in more than 60 cities nationwide. You'll want to talk to the company that has helped secure more than 7,000 invention patents. So call InventHelp. 
Even if you have an idea for improving an existing product and don't know where to go with it, you'll still want to call InventHelp for free information. You'll find out how InventHelp may assist you in trying to patent your invention and submit it to companies. So call now. Call InventHelp at 1-800-316-1738. That's 1-800-316-1738. Get your free information by dialing 1-800-316-1738. That's 1-800-316-1738. 1-800-316-1738. When you struggle with credit card bills every month, you're not just in debt. Debt is all around you. I see people every day that are on the brink. They're going to go over the edge, and at the bottom is bankruptcy, and we pull them back. At the Debt Helpline, we're experts at helping you resolve your debt problems and become free of debt. We can help you pay off your debt and give you one lower monthly payment that you can afford. You do get to consolidate your payments. You only have to worry about making one payment a month instead of making three or four or five. If you have $5,000, $10,000 or more in credit card bills, call the Debt Helpline now for a free confidential debt analysis. 800-957-6063. 800-957-6063. Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free confidential debt review. 800-957-6063. 800-957-6063. Today, investors need to secure and protect their life savings. With government spending out of control, they continue to print money to cover the ever-increasing debt, which decreases the value of the dollar and promotes inflation. American Bullion offers a hassle-free opportunity to transfer any portion of your existing IRA or previous 401k to a gold IRA for your protection. Take advantage of the lower gold prices today and enjoy the long-term security and hedge against inflation that gold and silver can provide in an IRA. Thousands of others have trusted American Bullion to transfer their IRAs into gold, and you can too. Call American Bullion today and discover the stability, protection, and peace of mind that a gold IRA can bring. Call American Bullion today at 800-576-1046 for a free consultation and receive their free IRA rollover guide, which offers the best information on gold IRAs. Keep your life savings safe and sound when you can. Call 800-576-1046. That's 800-576-1046 for your free gold IRA guide. World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Taking the express train home. Another huge thank you to Ian Plenderleith. What a book. Rock and Roll Soccer, The Short Life and Fast Times of the North American Soccer League. And I love it, Ian, before we let him go, he's asking me, hey, did you get the hard copy? Did you get the, the good updated hard copy that's being sold in the States? I said, absolutely. He is very proud of how this thing came out. And I will tell you right now, the cover of this book, it's like it kind of gives you a feel of what the inside is going to be like. The the colors on the front of this thing, the shot of George Best pulling up his jersey, the shot of Pele with an overhead kick, the the bright orange L.A. Aztecs track suits. I mean, this is beautiful. Rock and roll soccer, it's what it's all about. And again, it's about more than, than the sex, drugs, and rock and roll and the cheerleaders and the AstroTurf and the crazy uniforms. There was some brilliant, brilliant soccer being played. And let's take a second and think about the legacy of this league, the old North American Soccer League, not only here in the USA, but around the world. That was a real fun show. Another huge thank you to Ian Plenderlees. Thanks to the engineers. Thanks to the gaffer. My name's Nate Abarea. Signing off. Bye for now. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 